You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wesley. If this is your first time uh, here with us, welcome. Uh, If it's not your first time, you're probably wondering where is the suit uh, today, right? This is uh, a little weird. You're probably probably wondering what to do with Ben and I today that we're not wearing suits, but uh, we decided to go a little casual for the Advent series, and so uh, this is my casual look, all right? Um, So... Uh, one of my favorite parts of, of Christmas, uh, really the season of Christmas, is getting to spend time with others, whether it's shopping for gifts or going to see lights displays or uh, enjoying holiday traditions. There's something about doing it with other people that makes it incredibly special. One of the holiday traditions of my family growing up was that every afternoon on Christmas Day, we would go to the movies uh, to see a movie in theaters. Anybody ever do this? Or it's just me? Okay, so some of you, okay, cool. So I'm not alone in this. Um, but there's one thing about going to a movie theater and going with others to see a movie versus going by yourself. Like, anybody just, like, love to visit the theater by themselves? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, that's cool. It's totally normative, right? Um, I, I, I can't, like, bring myself to do that. I, I just don't know why, but every, I, I see all these articles out there that say, like, 10 things you should do alone before you die, and, like, one of those is going to the movie theater by yourself. It's, like, one of those things you should experience. Well, in college, I had a, uh, one of my roommates, Chris, uh, he did this all the time. Uh, he would literally go to the movies by himself all the time. One day I just asked him, I said, Chris, why do, you, why do you go by yourself? Like, do you want someone to go with you? He's like, yeah, do you want to come? And I was like, oh, I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, yes. Uh, but, you know, I'm in college, I don't have a lot of money, so I give him the, exa- the excuse. I'm like, well, I don't know if I can afford to go to a movie night, man. He's like, no, I'll pay for you. Just come on. So I was like, all right, let's go. Let's go watch Twilight. I don't care. So we went and, um, you know, he paid for, for my ticket to the movie, and it became a thing. Like, he, he continued to invite me to the, to the movies, and we'd go to the movies together, sometimes, like, weeks on weeks on weeks, sometimes by month. And every time, I would just tell him, like, Chris, I don't know if I could pay for it today. He's like, don't worry, I'll pay for it. And I got, like, free movies for a year, which is great. Um, probably not the best thing to do. Uh, but, but there's something about that experience. I always remember that, because there was something about the presence of us being together that just changed that. Like, that, like that, that experience became a habit of ours to do together, and it became something that we really cherished, those moments, to go to the movies together. Because there's something about presence that matters. When you're with someone, it can change an experience entirely. There's kind of this outsized influence that our presence with others can bring. Even in the, even the hardest circumstances of life, even when you can't change the outcome of a situation in someone's life, there's something about being with them that radically makes a difference. It's transformative. It's impactful. It's comforting. It's challenging. It's motivating to be in the presence with someone else. And as we come to the season of Advent, the word Advent, if you're not familiar with it, comes from a Latin word that literally means coming or arrival. It's a season in which we long for the anticipation, we celebrate the anticipation of Christ coming to this earth. And in that, it's also a season of waiting, as we wait for his second return. And as we think about his return in this season of waiting, I can think of nothing more transformative, more comforting, more challenging, more motivating than the promise that God is with us. That he is a God of presence. He is not far off. He has not abandoned his people. But he is with us. 
And today in Isaiah 7, we're going to see this prophecy in kind of a three-part mini-advent series of the prophecies of Isaiah. The first one we're going to look at today is the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. And the main idea of this text is pretty simple today, that we as the people of God can trust that God is with us, that he is with his people today. And no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, as God's people, we can trust in this promise that he is with us. And from the text today, we're going to just see kind of flow straight from Isaiah chapter 7, these three outcomes of this promise that God is with us. And they'll be up on the screen for you. The first is we're going to see that this promise of God with us brings peace for the fearful. It brings security for the weak. And it finally brings hope and the waiting. So let's go ahead and dive into our text today, Isaiah 7, verse 1. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the, king, or the son of uh, Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in a league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sherejashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Ramalia. You see, in the beginning of this, if you're kind of, since we're, we're just jumping in here to Isaiah 7 here, at the beginning of this, we see a few of the characters of the story develop. The first person we see is this King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is the king of the nation of Judah. Now, if you're familiar with the, the history of Israel at this point, Israel is divided up into two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and then you have the northern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel, or oftentimes referred to here as Ephraim. And then we have this other uh, player as well in the story, this kingdom of Syria. And, and all this is, is being a, a come, a come about during a time of the world where there's this dominant superpower. There's this one incredible mega power force, and that is the kingdom of Assyria. And in this moment, Judah is the southern kingdom, and then above it are these two smaller kingdoms. And these two smaller kingdoms are realizing that Assyria is about to do whatever they want. They're about to take over, so they form this alliance at the beginning of this text. And they say, no, we're going we're gonna to come together so that Assyria doesn't overtake us, and we want Judah to join our alliance. And Judah uh, looks at the, the interests of national security, or Ahaz does for, for Judah, right? Or maybe his own interests. And uh, he says, you know what? Maybe we should have a pro-Assyria uh, foreign diplomacy. And so instead of joining these two uh, northern tribes against, or these northern kingdoms against the, the kingdom of Assyria, the megapower, he decides to be pro-Assyria. And in this text, what we see here is these two northern kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the king of, of, of Syria, they come together and say, all right, well, we can't have Judah. Like, we can't have Judah buddying up with this dominant superpower, right? Like, that's not going to do well for us. And so they say, well, let's, let's, let's form an attack against Judah. Let's go against them, and we're going to make them join our forces. We're going to make them bow the knee to our, our will. And so we enter this text, and we have the king Ahaz, and he is in a situation a sticky situation. 
or he has a choice to make. Is he going to continue to bow the knee to this mega power, the superpower of Assyria? Or is he going to trust in the Lord? And in this moment, as, as the siege is happening, he is conflicted. And the text says that he and the people, they're fearful. They're fearful to the point where it's like trees in a forest being shaken before the wind. And in this moment, God intervenes for his people. We look at the text in verse 3, and we see that the Lord sends a prophet. And in this moment of turmoil, in this moment of fear, he sends this prophet, Isaiah. And what he wants Isaiah to do for the king is to remind him of his presence with his people and remind him of the peace that they can have. And he does this by reminding them of two of his own attributes. Isaiah is going to remind King Ahaz here that God is a God who is always faithful. And that God is a God who is powerful. Look what he says in verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and share Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And so he tells Isaiah to go meet Ahaz and bring someone along on this prophetic mission. And who does he bring along on this mission? He brings along his little boy. Now, just, just for, for reality's sake here, okay, uh, if you were going to meet a dignitary or a king, you probably wouldn't bring a child along, right? Like, that probably wouldn't work well. If I were to go to meet someone who's a dignitary in D.C., I wouldn't bring uh, Ellie, my four-year-old daughter, along. That would really radically change the outcome of that meeting, right? Uh, uh, I mean, you're talking about heavy stuff here that all of a sudden Ellie's, you know, sipping on hot cocoa and watching Daniel Tiger in the corner, right? Like, that's going to that's gonna change the feel of the meeting. But, but Isaiah is told to bring his son along here. Why is he told to bring his son along? Well, well it's actually to, to show a sign of his faithfulness to his people. You see, in your Bibles, you might have a footnote there that tells you that the name Sher Jesha means a remnant shall return. You see, in bringing along his son, what God is speaking to his people here is that God will always remain faithful to his people. That his promise is sure. That no matter what is happening in this moment, his word will not fail. That long ago he promised Judah that there would be a line through the line of David that he would establish his everlasting kingdom. And that one day through that line, the Messiah would come. And in bringing Sher Jacob along, what, what God's teaching Ahaz in this moment, what God's teaching his people is that though this situation seems like it's too much, Though the situation seems like it's overbearing, this is not going to throw aside his promise. Just because this nation is laying siege upon you does not mean what I have promised will not stand. The promises of God are faithful. And in this moment, the king, he's at this upper pool, most likely looking at the water supply to wonder if he could even survive the siege. And in this moment, Isaiah is meeting him to remind him that God's faithfulness is not threatened by the situation that God's promises are not threatened by the situation, that he will accomplish his purposes, even if King Ahaz cannot see it in the moment. But God's not only faithful in his promise here, he's also showing off his power to Ahaz. He continues in verse 40, he says to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Ramalia. You see, in this moment, Ahaz looks at these two kingdoms and all he can see is that they're going to overwhelm him. 
They're going to overwhelm. They're going to they're overtake him. But when God looks at them, he says, you know what I see? I see two smoldering stumps of firebrand. Now, it, it, that's, that's a, a pretty cool picture right there because I love this season, right? When, when it's winter time and you're able to have fires and I live in apartments so we don't have a fire, but I like to go out when, when there's land and to have a fire and to sit around that fire. And when the fire begins, it's raging, right? But then over time, it begins to die down. And then it just becomes these embers that are glowing at the bottom. And as they kind of get to the, the, the end of their life cycle, you can literally just step with your foot and they crush to ash, right? In this moment, God is saying, that is your enemy. He may look like too much in this moment. He may look like he's going to overcome you in this moment. But to me, Ahaz, these are just like little stumps that will one day turn to ash. You don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear that they will overcome you. I'm bigger than your fears. And that's why he commands him. He says that the Lord will stand in his promise. So be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Don't let your heart faint. I'm with you, Judah. I'm bigger than these things. Now, I think we can relate to Ahaz here, right? I mean, we can relate to feeling like circumstances and and the walls of life begin to close in on every direction to us. We can relate to ask the question, what are we going to do when circumstances get out of our control? When life gets too big for us, when things seem impossible to overcome, we can, we can understand his situation. And what Isaiah does through the Lord is he brings this message of peace to Ahaz. He reminds him that God is with him. And in doing so, what he's doing is he's directing the, the gaze of his people from their enemies, from their circumstances upon him. Look to me. Look at my power. These nations, they seem so mighty, but in the end, they're nothing. Then and then they cannot stand against my power. I'm bigger than your fears, Ahaz, in this moment. I'm bigger than what you fear the outcome will be. Now, what he's not doing here, and, and what the Bible does not do, is it does not discount the threats of life. It does not discount that we have real fears in life, that we go through incredible hard circumstances in life. That's why the Bible doesn't tell us to just deal with our fear. Like, suck it up. <laughs> or, or believe into existence and it will banish, right? The Bible doesn't tell you to muster up your own strength and overcome it. No, the Bible tells us the very opposite. It reminds us that our fears and our circumstances are real. It doesn't tell us to pretend like they don't exist. But it tells us to look to something else to bring peace. You see, in Psalm 23, David says this way, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because it will banish? Why? Because if I just have enough strength, I can endure it? No, he says, because you are with me. You see, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our fear, just like Ahaz here, we have a God who is faithful. We have a God who is bigger than our fears. And I don't know what today is bringing anxiety to your heart. I don't know what today is bringing fear to your hearts, what I can tell you is there's good news, that God is with you, that he has not left you to deal with it alone. He has not abandoned his promise to you, and that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that looks like for us, we too can fear no evil because God is with us.
And that promise brings peace. It brings peace to our fearful hearts. And we, like the prophet Isaiah, we can say to ourselves, fear not, be calm. God is with you. But it only brings peace this Advent season. It also brings security, security for the weak. Pick up in verse 5, and he says, Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tebel as king in the midst of it. So basically, their plan here, Isaiah is unfolding here, is we're going to go up, we're going to scare Judah, and then we're going to replace Ahaz with a puppet king that we can control. That's their plan. That's what they're trying to accomplish. But look what the Lord says about their plan. His response in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. Right? Reminds me of Gandalf there, right? You shall not pass. <laughs> Definitive. It will not stand. It will not come to pass. Why? For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The Lord says these plans that they have, that seem so large, that seem so daunting, so sure, he says they will not stand. They will not come to pass. Why? Because at the end of the day, when you look at these kingdoms and they, see so mi- they seem so mighty, at the end of the day, they're just as good as their largest city. And their largest city is just as good as the man who's leading them. And at the end of the road, at the end of it all, it's just a mere man. The strength of these nations are not found in anything supernatural. It's not found in anything divine. It's found in simply humans. And he tells them, he declares to them, that within 65 years... This will not stand. Now, again, I think sometimes we can relate here because when we see things uh, coming upon us, it sometimes is hard to believe. There are times when it doesn't make sense, right, for us to believe. There are times it doesn't make sense for us to follow Jesus. But God, again, is displaying his power. He's displaying his faithfulness. and He's saying, you can trust my word. They will not stand. Their attacks, their plans are not greater than my plans. They will not thwart my purposes for my people. And what does he encourage Ahaz to do here? Well, he encourages Ahaz to stand firm, to be strong. But he doesn't tell him to, to be strong. Like, like He doesn't tell him, like, hey, don't be weak and fleeting like these other nations. Like, be strong, Ahaz. Like, be better than them. That's not the message he gives Ahaz. He says here, don't be weak and fleeting like them, but in your weakness, seek strength in me. Notice what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, what he's showing Ahaz here is that to be a strong person, to have security, to have firmness, comes on relying on the Lord. It comes through faith and trust in the Lord. If you want firmness, if you want stability, if you want security in life, if you want salvation in life, it doesn't come from the power from within yourself. It doesn't come from trusting the power of something else like the great nation of Assyria. It comes from relying on the the Lord. And in our weakness, we can come to the Lord. 
in our weakness, we can recognize that he is the one who can rescue us. He alone can do these things. That's why in the New Testament, when Christ comes on the scene, he comes and he he says, hey, I I didn't come for those who are, are well, right? Because those who are well are in no need of physician. The one who's in need of physician are those who are sick. I didn't come for the upright and the strong. I came for the weak. And Paul reminds us that it was while we were weak that Christ died for us. We have no hope of saving ourselves. And the gospel meets us and it doesn't tell us, stop being weak, be strong. No, it says in our weakness, look to another. Look to the God who is with us. Look to Christ himself. Because in him, in faith in him, that we find our strength this morning. It is in him we find our security. It is in him we find salvation. So the promise to Ahaz here is that God is with you. Have faith in me. I will provide security. I will provide salvation for you. You don't have to look to your own strength. Find your strength in the God who is with you and the God who is for you. And then thirdly, we see that this promise God is with us also brings hope in our waiting. Verse 10, it says again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and he says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. He says, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God comes to Ahaz and he speaks and he says, Ahaz, pick a sign, any sign, right? Like anything. (laughs) Ask for any miraculous sign you want to, Ahaz, and I will prove to you, I will show you my faithfulness. I will show you that my word stands true. And Ahaz, he answers him, he says, um, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, right? Like, he gives a pretty biblical answer, right? Sounds good. It sounds like the right answer. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to ask. I would never put the Lord to the test, right? But what he's actually saying here is, is that I don't need a sign, God. I don't, I don't need to hear from you. In fact, Ahaz has already made up his mind. And the Lord comes to him, he says, hey, I will give you any sign. You just pick a sign. I will give you any sign so that I can show you that I am faithful and that I'm true, Ahaz. And Ahaz says, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I've, I've, already, I've already made up my mind. I'm good. And what does the Lord do in the irony of the Lord? He says, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyways, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. I'm going to give you one. And although that, uh, as if we continue to read in verses uh, 15, 16, and 17, you'll see that that's some of the outcomes of this, this sign, uh, Ahaz is not going to like, right? Because he's not trusting the Lord. Ultimately, this sign for the people of God is one of hope. He tells them, he speaks through the prophet Isaiah. He says, I'm going to give you this prophecy. And he says, there's going to be a child. Child's going to be born to a virgin. Now, the word virgin here in the Hebrew language is, uh, is, is kind of more ambiguous than how we would use the term. Uh, it's most likely referring to an unmarried woman who's of age to have children, right? So it's a little bit more ambiguous than maybe we would t- uh, typically think of a virgin. And I think there's reason for that. Because oftentimes with prophecies in the Old Testament, and we're, we don't have all the time in the world to get into this, but oftentimes with prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, they, they sometimes have an immediate fulfillment. 
It could be a partial fulfillment of the prophecy. Uh, it could be kind of a, a, a smaller fulfillment of the prophecy, but, but oftentimes there's an immediate fulfillment of a prophecy given that may have a greater significance uh, in God. And, and here we see that kind of on display, that there seems to indicate in the text that there is an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, that perhaps there is a boy named Emmanuel that will be born during Ahaz's day. And, it, and as the, the text continues, it kind of shows this, that there will be a boy who was born, and before he is able to make right or wrong decisions, before he even knows the difference of that, Ahaz, I'm going to tell you, Judah's enemies will be destroyed. That prophecy will come true. That there will be in your lifetime a fulfillment of this. That before this boy is able to grow up, he will be born to a virgin, and in that moment, there, there will be the fulfillment of that prophecy, at least in partial. But I think as we look at this, and we think of the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. There's something more to this. It seems like the person that Isaiah is prophesying about is a little bit bigger. It seems like this this sign is a little bit bigger than just a simple boy who kind of makes an appearance to mark a season in the nation of Israel. That's precisely why the anticipation of waiting for seven centuries, the New Testament writers pick up on this prophecy. And we can look in Matthew chapter 1 and we can see the fullness of fulfillment of this prophecy. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 7 here, and he interprets it for us. He tells us how we should rightly understand what was spoken seven centuries before in Isaiah chapter 7. And he says this after he tells us that a virgin Mary will conceive a child. He says, And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, this morning in the birth of Christ, we have the supreme fulfillment of God with us. Emmanuel, God becomes a man with us. He takes on human flesh and he dwells among us. And just as it was for King Ahaz, we likewise today are invited to trust in the presence of God with us, to put our faith in him, to have this sure hope that even though as the people of God, we are waiting for that final advent where Jesus will make all things new, we have hope in this season of waiting. We have hope in the promises of God. We have hope that God is with us and he has shown that supremely in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, as we prepare our hearts for a time of communion, we're invited to see that in the perfect life of Jesus. That in him this morning, he overcomes all of our weaknesses. And we're reminded through his sacrificial death that he is inviting us to see that all of our unbelief that we have in this life have been dealt with. That all of our sin and shame that we carry around has been taken care of because of Emmanuel, God with us. He dealt with it on the cross, finally and forever. And we're invited to see in his victorious resurrection this morning that all of our fears are overcome. All the things that make our hearts anxious have been dealt with in Christ. What have we to fear this morning if God became a man to rescue us? What have we to fear this Advent season if God is for us so much that he would send his son into this world to be present with us. In the season of Advent, 
in the season of waiting, and this morning, we can put our hope in a God who is faithful to his promise. His promises are sure. He's more powerful than the circumstances we have. And he has, pre- he has shown this through the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, today we are invited to see that truth put on display for us. That in Christ Jesus this morning, we have the promise of peace. Peace for our hearts. We have the promise of security. And no matter what we're dealing with, we are secure in Christ who is for us and with us. And we have the promise of hope. Hope that one day he will return and make all things new. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.